you may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with another streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. Always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorahgmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the Jewish calendar, is right around the corner. And people hopefully are preparing for this special day. One of the interesting things we do to prepare for this day is every morning at the end of prayers, we actually blow the shofar. Very quick. The tkia, the long blast, and the three short blasts, the shvarim, then the nine, um, staccato, staccato, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The nine quick ones, and then one more blast. We call that tashrat. We blow that every morning after prayers to sort of wake us up, get us in the mood, recognize that Rosh Hashanah is coming, and we are going to be judged by God. We are going to ask for forgiveness. We are going to um, reclaim that God is our king, and that's overall what is happening on this holiday. But I thought today would be a great time, to, as we're starting to get into the into the holiday spirit, I wanted to spend time talking about the shofar. People say shofar means ram's horn. In truth, it doesn't have to be a ram's horn. It has to be anything that qualifies as a shofar. So, for example, um, when you, it has to come from a kosher animal. It has to be, it's really made of two pieces. Now, there's the, if you would soak it, right, the inside part would just like slide out for the most part. It's not a block of bone. Right? It would, you, you would slide out the middle part. It's not made of rings. So, a cow's horn, by the way, would not qualify as a chauffeur, but let's say a Steinbuck or maybe a, um, not sure if like a, sheep or goats, some of those other ones. There's multiple other animals that are kosher um, that would qualify as a kosher chauffeur, but we overall want to use the ram's horn, which we'll get to. But again, I know a story um, here in Detroit many years ago where one of the synagogues asked somebody if he could blow chauffeur for them on Rosh Hashanah, and he came with a horn they'd never seen before. It was like just different colored, and the shape was a little different. And the sounds easy to blow was beautiful. And somebody figured out, hey, that's not a ram's horn. So they went over to the guy and they said, is this a ram's horn? He says, no, the Steinbuck. I like to blow this. So they weren't happy because, and we'll see, there is a reason. We'll talk about the end of the show. There is a reason why we specifically want to use a ram's horn. But the fact, <clears throat> but the, fact the matter is, Hmm. Those are allergies. But the fact of the matter is that um, it's kosher, but but the, the people were not pleased, so he was not asked back again. But 
we want to talk about Shofar. I saw this week an amazing story. I cannot vouch that the story is completely true or true at all. It sounds romantic, sounds beautiful. It's a legend. You can do with the story what you wish, but it's an amazing story. So we probably are all familiar that in 1492, August 2nd of 1492 is a very important day for many people. That is the day Christopher Columbus left, or at least wanted to leave, by the way, um, to go discover America. He was delayed, so it could be he actually left on August 2nd. I'm not sure in the story if they know this. He was delayed because all the Jews who were trying to leave Spain um, were also looking for ships to get out because... What happened was, to get the story overall, and you know, there's a great book. Um, I actually read it. Yeah, let's rephrase. It's hard It's hard reading. It's it's like a thousand pages. It was written by Bibi Netanyahu's father. It was a story, and he wrote all about the Jews and Spain. And he explains what happened in Spain, that in the 1300s, you had a lot of forced conversions already. 1300s, even the early 1400s, a lot, a lot of forced conversions. If you accepted to be, I guess a Christian is really Catholic. If you accepted to be Catholic um, and then you were pretending to be a Jew, right? you did stuff at home. I don't say pretending, you pretend to be a Catholic, but you really felt you were a Jew. So at home, you might keep kosher, you might try to keep the Sabbath, you might try to keep the holidays. But out in the streets, you pretended to be Catholic like everybody else, and you went to church on Sunday, and you did all the Catholic things you had to do. So if they caught on that you were a Jew in hiding, they would kill you. But if you never accepted a forced conversion... If you never pretended to be Catholic, they weren't allowed to touch you. So you had all of these Jews that were um, that were um, regular Jewish, regular religious. The business was a little bit harder for them, but you had all these Jews pretend that were not pretending. I never was willing to be forced. I was never forced. I'm a Jew. End of story. The problem was a lot of the reasoning behind the stories of, of the forced conversion or the people converting was because the Catholics were unhappy how the Jews became so wealthy. They were the tax collectors, which is not a good job. I mean, it makes a lot of money, but it's not going to win very many friends. So you, you had a lot of Jews that were in government and they were tax collectors. So they came up with a rule. Only Catholics can be tax collectors. Okay, so you had a lot of Jews said, no problem, be a Catholic. What do I care? They weren't so religious anyways. So the purpose of what they wanted didn't work. That's why had, they kept trying to prove, yeah, he really is Jewish. They didn't even know if they were Jewish. By the time you got to their grandchildren, they were clueless. But their blood wasn't pure. But that's, that's the basic background of what's going on. By 1492, that was the expulsion. That's where, again, to, to sort of force the hand... To get to say that that everybody has to be pure blood, if you like that phrase, um, if you wanted to be Jewish, you couldn't live in Spain. So those that were that were not willing to be converted, so they left. Those that wanted to pretend, so they stayed. That's you get the order to phase and they and the burnings publicly. And but again, the the basic idea behind it 
was the Catholics were unhappy that the Jews were so powerful in government. And there was all kinds of wars and stuff. It was a lot of stuff. It's a, Again, if you're into the history of it, so again, it's I can't remember his first name, but it's Bibi Netanyahu's father, and he wrote the book, I don't remember what language, but it's definitely been translated into English because I read it. Now that you have the background, now we're ready for the Schaefer story. Anyways, so there, um, there was a... Yeah, the, those Jews are converted. So you can keep Sabbath. You just don't go to work that day. You just sit in the back porch and you just, you know, put your feet up. Um, you want to eat kosher? Okay, so you don't eat pig's meat. You eat apples. Okay. You want to keep Passover, so don't have bread for a week. You want to, I don't know, you want to... So, I mean, I, I, don't, I guess I couldn't build a sukkah. That would have been a little harder. You know, I don't know if they could get away with shaking a, a lulav and an esrig. You want to fast in your kippur, so just don't eat. But how are you going to blow a chauffeur on Rosh Hashanah? And as if they caught you doing a Torah command, they were going to kill you. Right? That was it. It's all over. So a lot of things you can get away with by just doing nothing. But a chauffeur, you got to take that ram's horn and you got to blow. And it makes noise. And if there's anybody, yeah, you can hide somewhere and hope nobody hears. But overall, you're going to have a very difficult time blowing the chauffeur. So there was this man supposedly by the name of Don Fernando Aguilar is the name that it has over here. And it happens to be he um, was a conductor. He conducted the symphony, and he was well-known, and uh, he wanted to hear chauffeur. What are you going to do? So he brilliantly planned that he wanted a symphony of instruments from around the world, all different kinds of instruments that people played from different places, and he would incorporate each different kind of instrument into the tapestry of his symphony. And the bells and the flutes and the trumpets and the drums and the violins and the cellos, whatever. I can't say if they had all those instruments, and I think they had most of them. And then came the time for the ram's horn. So somebody who was a Murano, was Jewish, when we were at that part of the symphony, he blew the sounds of the show for the same sounds that you would hear if you went to synagogue. And of course, sitting in the symphony on Rosh Hashanah, sitting in the crowd, were many Muranos that knew this was their chance to hear Shofar. At the end of the day, as the story goes, um, he didn't make it much longer. Um, he eventually, they, he was arrested, whether it was because of this symphony, whether it was because of other things he did. Eventually, he was caught, he was tortured, he was killed, he was burned. But story true, story not true, it's romantic, it's legend, whatever, whatever you feel about such a story, doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, um, he wanted, it was important to him that uh, Shofar should be blown. And it is really fascinating that Shofar happens to be one of those commands that is almost universal. In other words, it is ve- in my synagogue, right? Okay, I happen to blow the shofar in my synagogue, right? But, you know, this is like the highlight. 
people who have, you know, women who have children, they can't be in synagogue all day. They're going to try to get their carriages there, get somebody to sort of play with the kids outside. They're watching the kids. They're, they're half watching. They want to hear the chauffeur. The, the sound of that chauffeur just takes you on a, to another plane, to another level, to another time and place where it's as that sound is blasting, you just, it's you, it's the chauffeur, it's God. It, it, it's a very, very powerful moment. Uh, people who will go to synagogue, the, the whole year they don't go to synagogue and pray. But they want to go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, it's an important day. They want to be there. It's a very, very important day. So the question is, why? Like, what made the chauffeur so, so special? What is the power that we are discussing over here? So first of all, we need to know what the chauffeur is accomplishing, and there's multiple answers. Maimonides himself calls it an alarm clock. It, it teaches, you know, that there's time and we count our days and we're asking for life. That's the that's one facet. It sounds like crying. The sound is a penetrating sound. Um, as we mentioned before, I told you the story with my friend who blew on a different kind of chauffeur. Um, because all chauffeurs are kosher. Even if a chauffeur has like a hole in it, the chauffeur doesn't have to be a perfect um, um, horn. I mean, certain cracks will make it will make it not kosher, but certain holes will make it okay. This could be smooth, it could be polished, it could be rough. Um, my sound, many times from the chauffeur I use, at least the old one I use, my new one's a little bit better, but the same raspiness that you hear coming out of my voice, which is my voice. You know, my chauffeur mimics my voice. There's like a raspiness. It's not that beautiful, clear, high-pitched note. That's not the sound generally I get out of my chauffeur. I'm sure someone can explain why. But you don't need that perfect sound. You need the sound. You don't need the perfect chauffeur. You don't need the perfect person blowing the chauffeur. You know, it's interesting. The um, the Levi Yitzhami Baditchev was looking for a new person to blow chauffeur. So the contestants, different people came in, and the Levi Yitzhami, you know, as an interview, he says, "What do you think about when you blow chauffeur?" Oh, I think about this name of God, and I think about this, and I think about that, and this holy thing, and the next one. And finally, a guy comes in, and he says, what do you think about? So I tell you the truth. All I think about is my family and the bare cupboards, and the and I need God to help me. I believe you said, you're the man. You're the guy I want blowing. You're real. Of course, if you could have all the great holy thoughts, it's beautiful. But But you're real. You are. You need God's help. You are the person I want blowing chauffeur, because chauffeur is not about perfection. We make mistakes when we blow. Nobody is perfect. Right? We we blow it. We fix it. We blow it again. No one is perfect. The 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 idea is, and that's one of the things we'll learn from the the Rosh Hashanah holiday is, the goal is not perfection. 
the goal is growth. This is where I was last year at this time. This is where I am today. Where do I want to be tomorrow? I mean, it's nice if we could have perfection. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also very not realistic for a human being. But as long as, I always tell people there's the compass, there's the arrow. As long as my direction is continuing to grow in the right direction, that's what God wants for me. God wants to know, can I be better than I was last year? Can I be a better father? Can I be a better husband? Can I be a better boss? Can I study better? Can I do the commands in a better way? Can I have a better connection with God? Not the perfect connection, not the end all, but can I just have a better relationship with God? And then hopefully the year after that, we're going to up the ante. You know, we're going we're to get better. We're, we're always looking to grow. We've talked about the idea of a ladder. I'm either going up or I'm going down. I am not staying static. Static is not good. I always have to be growing. How much? So each person has to figure out how much he can grow. You gain more by trying to accept something small, something you'll increase to a little bit better than, than just trying to eat the whole pizza in one sitting because then you'll end up with nothing. A stomachache if you can eat that whole pie. But, uh, but we're, we're always looking to grow. That's what we want. And that maybe is also one of the lessons of the chauffeur. Um, I saw very interesting from uh, Rebetzin Esther Younggrace. She passed away a few years ago. They wrote a book about her life. She was an amazing lady. Created the organization called Hineni. She was a Holocaust survivor. She spoke with that English, but with an accent. Um, and she, she connected to people. She was regal. She connected to all kinds of people, the college graduates, the the highly educated. Um, she had her organization based out of Manhattan. Her husband had created a synagogue in, on the island, and uh, she created uh, just, she was amazing. She had a, a rally in, in more than one, I think, in Madison Square Garden, and the people were enthralled with her and her message. So she says, very interesting. She said, that the and this is really to answer our question. What was our question? Our question is that why is the chauffeur so powerful? So she says, and I, you know, I I believe it because that's why I'm saying it. If I didn't like it, I don't have to say it, All right? But she says the chauffeur has a cosmic energy. It's built into the creation. Right? There's a three part deal on Roshana. There's what we call I have to do tshuva. I have to repent. Repentance alone is not good enough. I have to pray, and I have to do charity. It's a three-pronged attack to reconnect with God using the chauffeur. Right? The repentance we get. I'm trying to become closer to God. I'm sorry for what I've done. The whole concept that even works, which we'll talk about not in this show. Prayer, she says, interesting, prayer is part of our DNA. You can't open up a prayer book. You don't need a prayer book. When you are ready to pray, you know exactly what God wants. You know exactly what God wants. You know how to connect to God. You may, if I ask you what you're supposed to do, you may not be able to tell me. But when push comes to shove and you need to talk to God, you can do it. 
Okay, obviously, if you had the ability to read from the prayer book, the rabbi set it up, it's very powerful. But if you don't know how, no problem. Just go ahead and open your mouth and open your heart and pray. Just talk to God. You'd be amazed what kind of conversation you can have. It's one side, it's true, but you can have a conversation. And then, and then, right, you have to also, you got to do something. You got to give charity. You got to become a charitable person. You got to become a giving person. That's what we're looking for. And then the chauffeur has that power to break all barriers. Which answers a different question. We happen to like that the chauffeur should be bent. Uh, It would be kosher if it's not. But you probably have never even seen a chauffeur that's not bent. Why? Because the concept of bent means I'm not perfect. The person standing erect, you know, sometimes you get that feeling. You see the guy walking around. The back is just too straight. Their nose is too far up in the clouds. Right? Those people make us nervous. We're bent over. We're humble. We understand we're not perfect. Right? That's all part of the symbolism that we want from the chauffeur. The chauffeur's sound is broken. The chauffeur itself is not perfectly straight. And we need more. So I told you we like to use a ram's horn. Why do we like to use a ram's horn? So hopefully, um, with my little time left, we will explain. The reason I want to use a ram's horn is because when Abraham was bound Isaac on the altar because God had told Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son you love, take Isaac and bring him up as a sacrifice, right? Now, this was the child Avram. Abraham had been waiting for his whole life. And now God says sacrifice him was the final test for Abraham. So Abraham brings Isaac and when Isaac gets wind of what's going on, he's okay with it. He says, if God says, I'm on board. And Isaac says, "Abraham, tie me because I don't want I don't want to, you know, ruin the sacrifice." You know, the part of the test was that Abraham had been preaching for forever that God does want human sacrifices, and here he's going and ruining, destroying everything he ever stood for. Life would be over for Abraham, but if this is what God told him, he's doing it. And then at the last moment, Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac, and God sends the message. You did what I wanted. I said, bring him up. I didn't say slaughter him. Um, But Abraham wanted to bring a sacrifice. So there was a ram that was caught in the thicket. And Abraham takes that ram and he slaughters it and says it should be in place of slaughtering my son. And he catches the blood and he throws the blood and he, he burns it on the altar. But that ram, four minutes, do I not know how to count? Why did I think I only had two minutes left? You guys are so nice to give me such long shows. But in any case, now I have a little bit of a breather. They gave me a sign I have a little more time. But in any case, um, he's bringing this ram, and now there's the two horns. So interesting enough, the Medrash says that one of those horns was blown at Mount Sinai. And one of those horns, I'm not sure why it can't be the same horn, but one of those horns is will be blown when the Messiah comes. That's the story of the ram. So happens to be 
that the day that Isaac was brought up on the altar was the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So since it happened on Rosh Hashanah, we want God to remember, I guess what we'll call the ultimate sacrifice. At the end, it's true, Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac, but he was willing. Abraham was completely, fully, God looked into his heart, looked into his mind. He knew that Abraham was about to slaughter his son. There was no hesitation. It was a done deal. Okay, it's a done deal. So I don't need, to, I don't need you to actually do it. Right? God doesn't need Abraham to follow through. Normally, you need to see somebody follow through. Because the person doesn't follow through, you don't know what he would have done at the last minute. Here, there was no question. Abraham was ready to follow through. And there goes my music. Here we go. But in any case... So by blowing a ram's horn on the high holidays, it reminds God of the ultimate sacrifice. Reminding God of the ultimate sacrifice helps get the Jewish people their forgiveness. But the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. You know I can't do it with my wonderful sponsor listeners, and I can't do it without you guys. So we got to thank the production team in the back. We got we got Alan and Andy in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on Enterprise Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Every room inside is filled with things from far.